What's up, friends? This is the Bread and Circuses podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube, you probably noticed the elephant in the room that Nick is not here. If you're listening to us wherever we have our audio versions, um, now you know Nick is not here. He actually had a family emergency, so he's not able to join us. If that's not really up to me. If he wants to talk about what happened, that's cool. Um, but I've got Raptor, our producer, on helping me out here. I'm probably going to carry most of it. And we are on with a very special guest. This is Mr. Howie Hawkins. How's it going, Howie? It's going great. Good. So you are running for president, correct, for the Green Party? I'm seeking the nomination of the Green Party. That the seeking con the convention's next summer. Oh, okay. Where's the convention at? Detroit. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I've never actually been. Um, so I always ask people when I hear Green Party, what makes you choose the Green Party over the Democrats? Well, I was 12 years old in 1964. And we just had a fair housing law passed in California, and Ronald Reagan was leading the fight against it. I came up in a Republican family. They mm -hmm. said we stood for civil rights, but that was a referendum where they repealed fair housing. So I said, okay, let's see what the Democrats are going to do. And they had a choice between the Freedom Democrats, who were an integrated slate from Mississippi, and the Dixiecrats. And Johnson sent the liberals, you know, Mondale, Humphrey, Joseph Rao to go tell the Freedom Democrats they'd get two token seats to could walk around the convention, but they wouldn't get to vote. So I was asking myself, where's my party? And my first party was the Peace and Freedom Party of California in 1968, Peace in Vietnam, Freedom was the civil rights slogan. And mm. so I've been committed to an independent party of the left since I was a teenager. Really? So that's that's crazy, Vietnam. We haven't, I don't think we've had anyone who's been a part of the anti-Vietnam movement on here. Can you tell us a little bit about what was that like? Well, I had to debate the Vietnam War. And like most people, I said, well, we got to fight the communists who are taking over the world. And then I did a little research and found out that we had prevented the election that was supposed to happen in 1954 because Ho Chi Minh would have won. And mm -hmm. we installed a corrupt dictatorship in, the, in South Vietnam and not that North Vietnam was a paradigm of democracy, but what the hell were we doing fighting in a civil war in Vietnam? And, mm -hmm. you know, the brutality of that war was something else. I mean, the estimates are three to five million Vietnamese died from all the bombing and napalm and Agent Orange. And so, you know, I thought that was the wrong war. And uh, it was funny when I when the Peace and Freedom Party got started, I'm 15 years old, urging adults to register into it. And they'd say, son, why are you so worried? You're so young. And I say, well, I don't want to get drafted for Vietnam. And they say, oh, it'll be over by the time you're old enough. I got drafted. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think I had pretty good judgment for a teenager. <laughs> so were you were you in Vietnam? No. I When my number came up, I enlisted in the Marine Corps, went to officer training at Quantico. And... I would have become I would have gone back there after I graduated to be a second lieutenant. But my college said, get the GI Bill first, which mm -hmm. meant I had to have 180 days active duty. And I only had that one summer so far. So I told the Marines, you got to send me to Paris Island or Camp Pendleton. And I was on inactive duty. And for my six year enlistment period, they just kept me there. So huh. I didn't go to Vietnam until 1996. I did visit and oh, okay. uh, very different place. Most people were had been born since the war. Okay. I have a quick question for you. Yeah. Uh, so you said that you thought that uh, Vietnam was the wrong war. Is there a war that we've been in recently that you thought wasn't a wrong war? Actually, yeah. And Trump just uh, undermined 
the good things we did. Uh, I think it was all right to fight ISIS. Before that, we helped save the Kurds from ISIS in Kobani when they were under siege. And the Turks were looking on there just, in fact, probably helping ISIS. And then we saved the Yazidis on Mount Sinjar. ISIS was killing all the men and boys and enslaving the women. So the Kurds did the ground fighting, but the Marines and special forces provided the air support and artillery to push off ISIS and they saved the Yazidis. So I think those were, you know, two good things we did. Unfortunately, I don't think the, well, we've just seen that now with Trump just pulling out the rug and telling Erdogan, go into northern Syria and do what you will with the Kurds. Mm -hmm. And then yesterday he said, but we're going to, we're going to keep the oil, which, uh, see, that's the problem. We, we don't, we say we're fighting for democracy and freedom, but in fact, we're fighting for oil in most of the Fight for oil. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, what about Afghanistan post 9-11? What do you think that was a good call then? Or uh, We should have gone after Osama bin Laden and the others responsible for the attack as a criminal thing. You know, bring them to justice. Agreed. But to overthrow the regime and then try to install another one. I mean, the Taliban may have been willing to give Osama bin Laden up or at least expel al-Qaeda from uh, Afghanistan. Um, so we've been there now almost, what, 18 years? And mm -hmm. I know Marines who have been over there. One young man, very conservative young man, he was twice in Helmand province, and he was telling me one day, you know, I was over there, and we couldn't shoot at them when they're farming. That was against the rules of engagement. And then we'd fight each other at night, and here I am back in the States, and they're back there farming. What the hell was I doing there? So, right. you know, I think, you know, the people that did 9-11 should have been brought to justice but to start changing regimes and occupying countries, that was the wrong move. Okay, so we got that out of the way. You're not a truther. I always get nervous with our guests. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. I think we were there too late. I mean, do you, so do you subscribe to more like the Tulsi Gabbard uh, School of Foreign Policy? We shouldn't be nation building or? Well, she's against regime change wars, and mm -hmm. I am too. It's not up to us to change governments. It's up to the people in those countries. Right. But she calls herself a hawk on the war on terror and has approved drone strikes, which I think creates more terrorists. Definitely. You know, sometimes we get the wrong targets, like a wedding party, and then we, that creates a lot of people that want revenge, and they become right. terrorists. And right. she even in one interview said, you know, maybe we should torture which I think, you know, I agree with John McCain on that. We should not torture because then when our people are prisoners, the other side can say, well, we can do it too because you did it. Yeah. That, that might be the only thing I've ever agreed with John McCain on, <laughs> realistically. <laughs> I, uh, that's, and that's a good point um, about the drone strikes is what it, I don't understand why it's so hard for some people to understand. Like if I'm a moderate or I don't care about something and you blow my parents up at a wedding, I'm probably going to be inclined to pick up a gun and fight you. I don't, that's not really a stretch of the imagination there. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, we've had some really uh, amazing things. Like when Obama was running for reelection in 2012, he mm -hmm. leaked to the New York times that they had terror Tuesdays where he would personally approve the kill list for the drones. Ooh. Um, that's like star chamber stuff. I mean, yeah, that should not be done, especially when 
a lot of these drones are in countries that we never declared war on. They use the authorization to use military force against Al Qaeda as the excuse. Mm-hmm. But now we're droning people that are not affiliated with uh, Al Qaeda. They're just people we think might be terrorists. And I think it's just creating more problems wherever it happens. That's that. De- yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, if someone was using, you know, uh, sorry, my phone just went off. That's the thing. If somebody was using drones in the U S on, you know, terror suspects, it would definitely, we consider an act of war. So. Yep. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's a felony to, uh, to fly drones anywhere near an airport, let alone, um, it like using it as a weapon. I can't imagine what they would do to someone using drones as a weapon here. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm kind of going through your website right now and it's, um, First off, well done website. This is top notch. I do want to compliment you on that. <laughs> well, thank you. I I actually think it can be improved a lot. Easier to na- can be made easier to navigate. I'm hoping to work on that. I've been on the road a lot the last six months, mm-hmm. and uh, not so much the next couple months. Well, I work a lot of libertarian campaigns, and my my biggest pet peeve is websites and social media pages look like trash. So. Uh, to see someone who's running such a professional looking website is uh, heartening uh, coming out of a, a third party. So great job on that. Well, thanks. And I'll tell my people that's working on it. You said so. <laughs> so I, I'm looking, I'm looking at like your, your green new deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm wondering, you're, you're talking about um, renewable electricity. Uh, what does that mean to you? Because different people have kind of a different idea of what renewable resources are. It's primarily wind and solar. It's hydro that we've already built or low head hydro where they've let the dams expire because the utilities for their own economic reasons have let that happen. It's also ground source heat, which comes from the core of the earth, but you can use that to heat and cool buildings with electric heat pumps. Those are the main sources. It's not biofuels except in niche cases. Uh, it's certainly not natural gas. Uh, what else they say? Oh, nuclear. It's not nuclear. What do you, so nuclear is one that I hear hotly debated a lot. What do you think of that? It's like, all you're doing is boiling water. I mean, we've been <laughs> doing that since before we were human. You know, some of our ancestors hundreds of thousands of years ago. You boil mm-hmm. water to create steam to turn a turbine. Using nuclear power to boil water is like, you know, cutting butter with a chainsaw. We don't need to do it. You create all this waste. It's very expensive. It can lead to nuclear weapons proliferation. Uh, It's just a terrible technology, and it's been economically unviable. It's had enormous subsidies. The insurance industry won't uh, insure it. So, you know, the federal government backs up the insurance, but not completely. So if they're, you know, catastrophic accident won't people won't all be covered um and now to keep them running like here in new york uh exelon wanted to shut down the four nukes upstate and the governor governor cuomo who i've run against three times got him eight billion dollar subsidy so they would stay open a while and he calls it clean energy um otherwise they they'd have shut them down for economic reasons so it's not even economically viable gotcha so uh, Green New Deal, a lot of people associate that with uh, AOC's bill. Does yours differ <laughs> from that in any way? or She got the idea from us. This <laughs> has been the Green Party's signature issue for more than a decade. 
Okay. I was the first candidate in this country to run for a Green New Deal. We're coming out of the Great Recession, and it was both an economic bill of rights to provide everybody with a living wage job, an income above poverty, affordable home, comprehensive health care, public education from pre-K through public college, and a secure retirement, and a large investment in clean energy to get the economy going. And then mm. we called it the Hawkins Prosperity Plan versus the Cuomo Austerity Plan. Cuomo yeah. wanted to cut public education, cut public employment, and basically deal with the fiscal gap because of the Great Recession by just cutting public services. So that was the contrast. And uh, so then AOC's campaign manager actually managed the campaign of a Green City Council uh, candidate in uh, New York City the year before she managed AOC's. So we have a hunch where she got it from. The problem is she watered it down. You yeah. know, we call as part of our Green New Deal, we're going to stop fracking and all new fossil fuel infrastructure. Because if mm -hmm. we build those fossil fuels out, we're going to burn them for 30, 40, 50 years because the investors want to get their return. And that'll cook the planet. Uh, said nothing about phasing out nuclear power. Extended the deadline from 2030 to 2050. And uh, didn't talk about redirecting resources from the military to this Green New Deal. So she watered it down, and then Pelosi won't let him vote on it. And McConnell said, oh, you all can vote on it. Half you Democrats are running for the Senate. And McCon or Schumer said, oh, that's a trick, and told them to all vote present, which all the good little Democratic senators did, except for it, and voted with the Republicans against it. So our argument is the Democrats can talk about a Green New Deal, but they're not going to do it. They already shot it down. And that's why we need the Green Party out here keeping the uh, banner high. Yeah. Um, so basically, she jacked you guys. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, me could say that. <laughs> do, you, do you? So one of the things that we uh, on the libertarian side count as a victory is when Republicans start using our talking points. Um, do, do you guys see that the same way with the Democrats, or is it? Um, does it more? Is it more offensive because you know they'll take your talking points and then ruin them, uh, like the Republicans do with us? I think it's both. It's good. I mean, when they sat in Pelosi's movement, these young people with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the media ate it up. It went viral. And then they did a poll and they found that 80% of Americans want a Green New Deal, including 64% of Republicans. So it has broad support. So despite it being killed by the Democratic leadership, it won't go away. Every Democratic candidate for president's got their version of the Green New Deal. Now, we think all of them, except for Bernie Sanders, aren't even serious. But yeah. Sanders has kept the things I just mentioned that AOC knocked out. He put them in his Green New Deal. The difference between us and him is he's on a 2050 schedule and we're on a 2030 schedule. So he's spending $16.3 If you look on my website, you'll see that we have a budget. It comes to $27 trillion over 10 years. And our argument is we got to do that. It's an emergency like World War II was. In World War II, the... Uh, federal government either built or took over from companies like GM and Ford a quarter of the manufacturing capacity in the country in order to turn industry on a dime into the arsenal of democracy to defeat the fascists. And given where we're at, we got to do this through the public sector by, you know, public investment and planning to get this done on the time it needs to be done on. And so that's why we're on that 2030 timeline, which we get from the carbon budgets that the climate science indicates we need to meet if we're going to avoid a real disaster. So do you, 
Um, would you suggest like allocating funds from the military budget for it then, or? Yeah, military. In fact, I'm calling for a 75 percent cut in military spending. Hey, me uh, too. And it's a rough, it's a rough number, but I know Truman did it in two years after World War II. Then they re-escalated, but that's another question. So it can yeah. be done. Um, but that's only out of uh, well, it's 2.7 trillion a year for the economic transformation, and it's another 1. 4 trillion for the economic bill of rights. So that's 4.2 trillion. We get about 0.8 trillion from new priorities, mainly military spending. Uh, we're going to cut way back on the border and we're going to cut way back on the war on drugs. But it gives mm -hmm. you about 8 billion in our budget. Most of it, the biggest chunk comes from uh, more progressive taxation. And another chunk comes from either borrowing under the current monetary system uh, we call it green quantitative easing. This time we bail out the people on the planet instead of the banks. Uh, right. But the Greens have a monetary reform proposal where we would produce greenbacks like the populist movement used to demand in the late 19th century. And that's debt-free money that you can spend right into the through the federal budget into the economy by uh, printing them out of the Treasury. Okay. Okay. Um, so... That brings up an interesting point. You said uh, the war on drugs and the border. What are you open borders or because I know Zach's open borders down there. So I am actually open borders. Trump okay. always says the Democrats are open borders. They're not. They're no. for maybe more efficient, more humane administration of an inhumane system. I mean, mm -hmm. that border, first of all, freedom of movement is a basic human right. The UN right. Uh, yep. Charter on Human Rights recognizes it within nations. Uh, but we should also recognize it between nations like the EU does within the EU. And, you know, it's that border was moved in 1848. And the people now, mostly in these uh, camps detained, are the, are the indigenous people and the Mexican people who the border moved on them. Uh, traditionally, they moved back and forth across the border. The other thing about the border is it undermines our working class. Uh, undocumented workers can't fight for their rights and they're used against workers here. And then the low wage workers in Mexico are also used to undercut wages here. You get rid of the border, we can organize across the border in the labor movement and raise standards across the board. Would, would you advocate for making a North American uh, free, uh, basically what the EU is, but for North America, do you think that would be a viable option? Yes. It's, what would that's that what look I'm like to you? Um, would it just be uh, Canada and Mexico, or would we include like Central American countries too? I think it should include Central America, given the history of our colonialism down there and our military intervention, creating a lot of the problems. Now, a lot of these people, they want to come up here and work and send the money back home. And uh, I think, you know, it's not like everybody's going to move up to, to North America. Uh, they'll come up here to work and then, you know, go back. And, and that actually happens a lot now, like in the last, because the economy here slowed down, a lot of Mexicans went back to Mexico. So I do have, uh, I have two questions that I feel like a lot of people would bring up there. So number one, <clears throat> and I'm just, I, I honestly don't know. I'm not going to try and be a combative asshole with any of our guests. This is just general questions. So I feel like a lot of people's concern with that would be, when you offer, you know, free college, healthcare, stuff like that, and then you also have open borders, what's to stop people from coming up here just for that and have becoming just too expensive to actually sustain? 
Well, when we invest in people's what they call human capital, their health and their education, they're more productive and they produce more wealth. Mm -hmm. So those investments pay for themselves. Um, I don't think everybody's coming up here, you know, to get an education. They're coming up here to work on farms or work in construction or work in factories because uh, they want to make money right now. Um, but if they do get an education, then they'll be, you know, contributing more to society and more to the economy. Yeah. So then my other question would be um, when you take on countries like Mexico and Colombia and places like that, um, or Colombia, South America, not are they? Okay, sorry, ignore the Colombia part. But when you take on countries like Mexico, um, see, it's been a long day for me. I'm sorry. Uh, when you take on countries like Mexico, you do have to take on their problems and like, Right now, shit. I mean, what better time to talk about this, this than right now? You know, they've got a war between the citizens and the police going on, or excuse me, the drug cartels and the police going on down there. So, I mean, how would we go about combating the cartels from just taking over like they have down there? Well, I think, first of all, we legalize marijuana, tax and regulate it, mm -hmm. and then we decriminalize the other drugs. And so, if you are in possession or a small time dealer, we do like they're doing in Portugal where you get a ticket, you don't go to jail or get, you know, charged with a crime that might send you to jail. And right. you go then meet with a lawyer, a social worker and a doctor, and they talk about your drug use. And maybe you need help with treatment. Maybe you need counseling. Maybe you just need a steady job. Maybe you're taking drugs because your life isn't so good. Uh, right. Or maybe you just want to get high. If that's the case, you pay a fine and go about your business. But what's happened in Portugal is, ODs of you know over overdoses and death have pretty much disappeared. The crime related to drugs, violence, and so it it reduces the harm. And so I I think that's the approach that takes away the demand that these drug cartels are supplying. You bring it back above ground instead of underground. So it, you decriminalize it. Um, another thing is the illicit money that. Uh, you know, has to be laundered. And I don't think we do a good enough job with that because in the end they got to run it or deposit it in banks. And there's a lot of evidence and accusations that some of the big banks have been doing that knowingly for a long time. So that part of the enforcement uh, needs to be done. Um, and then they need like a truth and reconciliation commission because there's so many people been engaged in this violence. How do you, you know, de-escalate the violence and bring those people back into society. Yeah. It's, it's not an easy problem. I'll grant you that. All right, cool. Yeah. So I think that's like the big problem is that a lot of people look at, especially here in America, we look at drugs as a criminal issue rather than what it is, which is a health issue. Cause I mean like addiction, addiction's a disease, right? Yeah, it should be a health issue and uh, making it a criminal issue just makes all the problems worse. It clogged, mm -hmm. I mean, this country, you know, we talk about freedom, but we imprison more people than any other country in the world. I mean, mm -hmm. they're very repressive countries, you know, Russia, China. We got more prisoners. You know, we mm -hmm. need to look ourselves in the mirror before we start preaching to other people. And that that brings up a good China. We love to talk about the Hong Kong protests on this show. <laughs> uh, what's what's your stance on that? Um, I think the demands for democracy, the right to elect their, they call it, I guess, the CEO, the mayor, and mm -hmm. the half of the council that is 
not elected by all the people, but by, you know, the business sections and these different prof professional sections, it's kind of like the House of Peers in England. It's very undemocratic. It's very mm -hmm. aristocratic. And I support those demands. The movement is a broad spectrum. I mean, there are elements of that movement that are basically racist toward mainland Chinese and Southeast Asians who are working there. They call themselves localists. And another side of it is very liberal, progressive, and socialist. So, but they all are concerned about being under the thumb of China and its legal system, which is not, uh, let's say, doesn't provide due process. So I think that's a legitimate concern on their part. Right. What, yeah. What do you do with and and you know there I don't I guess there's not really a wrong answer here but what do you do when you have uh, multinational corporations that are uh, silencing not not silencing free speech because that's not how free speech works in America but they're they're cracking down on people like exercising free speech at their venues here in America to support or or to not lose Chinese money like what what do you what are your thoughts on that? Like the NBA, yeah, the NBA uh, chickened out after one of their, I think it was a a manager, a, a yeah, the GM from Houston, the Houston Rockets GM, yeah, the GM, right, um, spoke out as a private citizen, and you know, the NBA, you know, didn't back them because they want to make money in China. I, I really think that's something we should condemn. Um, you know, I understand Google goes along with uh, the Chinese uh, restrictions, um, you know, on the Internet uh, in order to do business in China. That's a problem. And uh, I think everybody should read uh, Edward Snowden's book, Permanent Record, which talks about it's compelling with his own story and, you know, how he ended up in Russia and what it meant for his family and his girlfriend and so forth, but also you know, he sees the world as a the big struggle now is between democracy and freedom on one side and authoritarianism on the other and these surveillance states. And he, you know, he's very critical of the United States, but then he gets to talking about China where they have this social credit system where they're taking all your data and giving you a grade. And if you get a low grade, you can't get a job or get credit or anything. Yeah, and that's interesting that you bring that up. I've read a lot of articles lately about uh, how the U.S. is kind of developing its own social credit system. It's not necessarily the government that's doing it yet. Uh, it's a lot of companies, the big Silicon Valley, like Facebook, Microsoft, Apple. Have you heard about that? Yeah, they've been doing it, and it's for their own private purposes. But then you get companies like Equifax, which is like somebody hacked them and all the data got out Yeah, for you know, enormous numbers of people. So, you know, I, I've said that I would pardon a lot of these whistleblowers that have been prosecuted under Obama and Trump. And mm -hmm. in the case of Edward Snowden, if I was president, I would bring him into the administration to help us figure out how we can have an Internet that, you know, gives people access but is not used to surveil on us. And we have a government that isn't looking at every communication we do online. Wow. So did y'all hear that? He won't just pardon Ed Snowden. He'll bring the dude on. <laughs> He'll bring him on the team. I like it. I like that thought. Um, <clears throat> what about like Chelsea Manning and people like that? Would you pardon them? Yes. Yeah. That was a whistleblower. Um, right. And she's paid her dues. She's paying right now. I mean, they are fining mm -hmm. her. I forget what the number is, like a thousand a week. She'll never oh, be able to pay that back. Absurd, so she yeah. won't 
go speak to the grand jury. You know, it's like double jeopardy. And it's about, yeah. you know, information that was leaked, you know, in 2011, including that infamous collateral murder video. Um, yeah, Chelsea Manning, Julian Assange, who I have political differences with, you know, he was advising Trump Jr. leading up to that last election. I wouldn't, I don't like that, but he's being charged for publishing material that was leaked to him by the government. And yeah. He gets convicted for that. No publisher is safe, not the New York Times, the Washington Post, anybody. And that's really a serious issue. And, uh, you know, there's about eight or 10 whistleblowers who, you know, like take the waterboarding and the torture. None of the people who did it, which was illegal under international law and U.S. law, mm-hmm. or who uh, rationalized it, you know, like with the legal memos, has had any sanctions against them. The only person that got it was John Kiriakow, a former CIA agent who told somebody in the media about the waterboarding. And right. he spent almost two years in prison for that. Um, you know, we were losing our freedom to a surveillance state. And that's a big concern. And that's another concern is just AI in general. I mean, do you think AI is getting a little too out of control right now? It kind of creeps me out when I get scam calls and I can't tell if it's a human being I'm talking to. I can tell the robots, man, they, they still don't quite have the right accent or they, they get the wrong syllable emphasized. They're um, getting better though. They it's are scary fast. <laughs> they are. They are. They're they're annoying. Um, yeah, I think that's we got to keep our eye on that. But uh, it's a it's a big issue too. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, so you mentioned Trump there. Do you what do you think about the impeachment thing? Would you? Well, he's been self enriching nepotism right from the start. Um, mm. He is advised or told members of his administration to break the law and then he'll pardon them. I mean, the guy's lawless. Um, you know, Mueller didn't find uh, he reached the level of a you know legal conspiracy charge where they could get a conviction. But we all saw it, you know, Russia, if you're listening. Yeah. And, you know, Trump Jr. said, if it's what you say it is, I love it. And uh, Putin confessed, yeah, he wanted Trump to win. Uh, you know, that's problematic. And uh, it goes on and on. Um, Al Green, his uh, impeachment resolution, they voted on it three times. Not many Democrats voted with him, but he said the racism, he infuses his policies with bigotry. And he's supposed to faithfully execute the laws of the nation, which on paper are against discrimination. So there are many grounds to impeach this guy. You know, my question yeah. to the Democrats is what took you so long? <laughs> um, well, I mean, they're, they're wrapping up for an election. That's all that's really about at this point. Yeah. It's I mean, it'll... like like you or I could come up with reasons like principled, logical reasons why this president should be removed. And we I could probably like the, do that for most of them. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of the Democrats who are pushing it uh, don't really care. They're just using it as a political weapon that they can swing back against the Republicans for an election. Yeah, I, I think the Democrats are confused. I mean, Pelosi was thinking it would backfire on them. At least that's what she said. Although when she says impeachment would divide the country, I mean, this man divides the country every time he opens his mouth. <laughs> so, you know, it was hard to buy her rationale. Um, 
you know, they move very slowly. I mean, if they'd opened an impeachment inquiry, they could have accelerated getting these documents that Trump is uh, resisting releasing. Um, it's hard to figure out. I don't think they have a coherent strategy. I think they're divided. Yeah. Is there anything you like about Trump? I always like to ask. I don't think so. I mean, we know this guy <laughs> in New York. I'm from, I live in New York. We know this That's guy true. for a long time. I mean, real estate industry is not the cleanest industry. It's pretty sleazy. <laughs> and even real estate people don't like them. No. Right. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know any redeeming features. So that's kind of my pet peeve with this guy is everyone, uh, like not everyone, but like a lot of Republicans will be the well, he's a successful businessman. No, he's not. He's no. a real estate mogul, and that is the dirtiest, dirtiest game in the business. And he inherited a lot of it from his dad. It was just a yeah. small amount of a million dollars, though. That's that's all. It will. It was three or four hundred billion in today's money. It's a uh, three or four hundred million in today's money. It's a billion. Yeah, and I, exactly. You know, how does a guy go bankrupt owning a casino? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I know. a casino. I mean, they, they say it for a reason. The house always wins. So, like, <laughs> right? That doesn't. That he was doesn't drawing money much. out of it. That's that's what. He, that's why he got in trouble. Oh, was he? I didn't. I just remember. The thing I remember with Trump is it might have been in Atlantic City. It might not even been in New York. He yeah. was like he was going to steal some woman's uh, house through eminent domain to put limousine parking there. I don't know if you remember that. And the woman held out. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a big, nasty, like public dispute. And I was like, yeah, that's what I kind of remember because I wasn't too engaged in politics at that point. And then I remember seeing that and I was like, oh. I don't know if that guy should be able to run the whole country if he would take your house for limo parking. <laughs> yeah, it was a big controversy, but um, from what I've read, he was just drawing a lot of money out of the casino for other purposes. And Yeah. You know, it, it got in trouble. Yeah, so is he worse than Cuomo? Is he worse than Cuomo? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think so. Cuomo's pretty crooked, pretty conservative, but I mean... Trump is just a moral midget. I mean, Cuomo <laughs> may not be, you know, an angel, but he's Trump's just at another level. Yeah. Cuomo, I don't know. Cuomo just gives me that it vibe. I mean, Trump's just kind of rubs me as a moron, but Cuomo gives me that just greasy vibe. Just somebody I wouldn't trust. Like the kind of guy that would date your mom or something like that. Uh he's interested in power. And, uh, yeah. you know, he, he grew up in the mansion, the governor's mansion, and, you know, he runs the state like when there's money to hand out, um, he wants to be able to personally hand it out. That's how he got into his uh, legal problems. You know, his campaign manager's in jail now for taking a bribe to grease the wheels for a gas-fired power plant. And uh, some other people that got contracts under uh, his different programs, they were guilty of bid rigging and... Uh, well, bribery and, uh, you know, those kind of white collar crimes. Um, right. And that's because he wants to hand this out like a mayor hands out patronage. Yeah. So Cuomo, um, if I and I might be misquoting here, wasn't there a bill to legalize marijuana that he supported in New York? And then he like backed out. He's like, well, I can't sign this or something like that. Uh, he was slow to come around. Uh, the okay. legislature passed it. I believe, 
Um, yeah, the problem is, man, when the Greens ask me to run for president, I'm running all over the country. And I get, you know, I'm subscribed to a bunch of New York news feeds, and I just don't have time to read them. So I'm not right. up to date on where the legalization bill went. Uh, right. We did legalize medical marijuana first. And yeah. that was kind of the the companies with the ability to produce it. That was part of the patronage thing. There's a lot of criticism of that. And uh, but I, you know, I'm just not up on where the marijuana bill is at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, medical marijuana, we're here in Nebraska. That's where Zach and I live. I mean, we're still dragging people kicking and screaming on that. It's crazy how something it's a proven treatment for all this. We stuff. will be the last state to have any kind of marijuana legalization and it'll have to be federally mandated first yeah it's it's bad like the governor I, will not i just saw today somebody asked me to like a page on facebook for the legalized marijuana now party in nebraska yeah we don't uh, we don't talk about them uh so there is a better movement um so Okay. There is Nebraskans for sensible marijuana laws. That's run by uh, that's a bipartisan issue uh, or institution run by Senator Senator Anna Wishart, and um, the guy's name isn't ringing a bell right now. He's a lawyer in Lincoln. Um, they are for marijuana legalization. The legal marijuana now party is it's kind of the punchline of a joke here in Nebraska. So okay, well I didn't like the page. I hadn't investigated, but. I guess you're yeah. getting in my investigation. Thanks. Um, yeah, Nebraskans for sensible marijuana laws. We actually had them on our show, and that was a really good show. So okay, good. Um, yeah, what were you going to say, Zach? Um, to to kind of jump into the next issue because you know we've talked about military, we've talked about um, the environment, uh, drug legalization, that kind of thing. Uh, what are your what's like your platform on healthcare, and and what what are like how would you do healthcare if you uh, get to wave a magic wand and make it all work how you want it to? Well, I would have a single payer system. That simply means publicly financed. It would be a public service, mm -hmm. not a buy or die commodity. So whether you get treated or not doesn't depend on whether you have money. It would be funded by progressive taxation. It would cover all medically necessary services. The difference between what I'm talking about and what the the Democrats that are really for Medicare for all, Sanders certainly, and uh, maybe Elizabeth Warren, is that I want it uh, in a democratic structure and have it as a national health service like they have in England or Costa Rica or Denmark, where mm -hmm. the doctors and the hospitals and the clinics are mainly in the public sector. They work for a salary, not fee for service. That helps with cost control. And you have locally elected health districts, uh, boards elected by the public and uh, two-thirds and one-third by the health care workers. Um, and they then administer the local budget um, and make sure that, you know, clinics are everywhere they're needed and you don't, you're not overbuying MRIs for one part of the district and having none in the other and that kind of thing. So it'd be accountable. And because uh, if you just have a national health insurance uh, system, which is what the Medicare for All uh, proposals are, the drug companies and the ma income maximizing providers are just going to feed at that public trough and get all they can out. Whereas if you have it under, you know, a publicly elected democratic structure and the providers are on the public payroll, uh, they get a salary. They're not out there to maximize income by providing more services. So I think it's a more cost effective system. It's a more accountable system. So that's, that's the would kind you, of healthcare. Would you have to lower 
uh, you would have to lower um, education costs pretty hardcore to, to pull that off, I think. Uh, is it, would that be a step in your plan? Because like uh, coming out of law, uh, medical school, uh, a lot of doctors are dealing with huge student loans, like more than uh, us normies who get a couple uh, grand in in student loans to get through our, our crappy business degree. Um, <laughs> I feel like like that does that's not the major the or the biggest driving factor of costs but if you're going to have uh doctors working at, on salaries uh you would have to address the educational costs somehow yeah well that's where uh free public higher education and a uh, student loan fund where when you graduate you pay a percentage of your income for 20 years and then the rest is uh forgiven. They do that in some European countries. So, you know, if you went to Harvard and go to Goldman Sachs, you're probably going to be able to pay your loan off. Uh, right. If you're a doctor and then you uh, go practice medicine in Appalachia on salary, uh, you probably won't pay the whole loan off. But in the end, the, the public would cover the difference between, you know, the, your percentage of your income you pay and uh, what the full loan was. So I think we can cover it that way. We need, to, we need more doctors, particularly uh, general practitioners. A lot of people go into specialties because they can make more money so they can pay off those student loans, even though some of those doctors would rather be general practitioners. So I think that's a solvable problem. So um, with the universal college, that uh, that actually interests me when people talk about that. Um, would you, because a lot of people's concern is, I mean, obviously we need doctors, we need teachers, we need accountants, we need stuff like that. Um, but where I think a lot of people get concerned with is like, people that are going to major in art history or maybe things that don't really apply toward the betterment of society. Um, would you fund those degrees or would that get cut out? It's kind of like a, you got to pay for that on your own type thing. No, I think the humanities and what they used to call liberal education, in other words, education to be a free citizen is important. Mm -hmm. I mean, we need people to be smart so they can be good citizens. I mean, that goes back mm -hmm. to Jefferson. That's why he wanted a public school system. Right. Um, and in today's world, you, you know, you need to go to school a little longer. Mm -hmm. Well, that's we uh, we had Larry Sharp on here, who I know, you know, uh, a couple yeah. weeks ago, or a couple months ago. And um, the issue that he likes to really just emphasize, excuse me, is uh, just how overly paid administrators are and not just in colleges in you know, public schools like K through 12 people that are being paid six figure salaries just to check boxes. I mean, would you? Would you try to cut some of that out too? Absolutely. This high stakes testing regime is a racket. You know, okay. it, it's for, yeah. you know, corporate interests that on the one hand want to make money off the testing and all the stuff that goes with it. And on the other hand, they want to use that to justify these charter schools, which is a whole yeah. nother racket. And uh, I think that can be cut way back. And then colleges have got, they've become such business enterprises. It's all about real estate and these really, fancy dorms for the rich students and uh, they're competing on the basis of, you know, how nice the student union and the dorms are rather than the academics. And yeah. I think, you know, we need to look into that because that has helped the caught the inflation in higher education has been much greater than the general uh, rise in, uh, you know, the cost of living. So um, I think we can cut back on the overhead and get more, of the resources devoted to classroom learning.
And we, we talk a lot about paid paying for college. How about trade schools? Because we do have a need for that. Absolutely. And, you know, one of my beasts is that they start tracking students so early that in, in New York City, they take a test in kindergarten. And now they got test prep schools for people that are going into kindergarten. So they'll get into the right track. And right. by the time you get to high school, two thirds of the high schools in New York City don't have a physics course. So, you know, people are tracked from an early age. I went to a high school that was considered vocational, but it had an academic track, too. I took vocational classes. I took the academic tracks. I got into an Ivy League school. And then mm -hmm. I became a carpenter. I mean, I yeah. think we should have those choices all through life, not get tracked at kindergarten and, you know, your future is set for you. Right. Because, you know, people change. Their interests change. And some are late bloomers. And some people start out fast and they, you know, they become alcoholics or whatever. I mean... You, you can't you can't decide on based on some damn little test, you know, one test. Oh, yeah, that's what I was trying to tell um, my brother this because he just went to college and he's not sure what he wants to do. I'm like, here's the thing, kid. Like, people used to tell me, okay, because first and foremost, I'm completely covered in tattoos. People used to tell me you're going to regret those tattoos. You're getting them at a young age. But at the same time, these same people told me that I needed to be 100% sure what I wanted to do when I was 17 and be willing to commit six figures worth of debt to it. So it's totally like so much changes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think we need to give people more freedom of choice in terms of where they're going at any point in their life. I mean, right. people should be able to, you know, change careers midlife, you know, go back to a college and you know, get the degree they need to try a new career track. Mm -hmm. um, and we should encourage that. And, you know, we talk about, you know, I'm a socialist. I think the big businesses and banks and the infrastructure in the public sector should be under public control. But mm -hmm. I think that creates the public avenues of private commerce. So if you have social supports mm -hmm. like health insurance, you're not sticking to a job just for the health insurance. You might go out and risk because you got an idea you want to bring to market. So I think it would actually help small businesses, certainly farmers. Farmers need a, I believe they need, you know, parity pricing for all commodities and a, a supply management program. So they're assured of a living income above their cost of production. Um, and, you know, right now with this corporate farming, they're getting wiped out. So I think those social supports, we can provide, you know, more opportunities for people to go into business for themselves, whether it's, you know, farming or small businesses and, uh, so anyway, I think that's something we should encourage. I, I have yeah. two questions. One, so I was homeschooled growing up. Um, what was since we've talked about education a lot? What one? What are your thoughts on homeschooling? And two, to continue on education a little bit, uh, I don't think your definition of socialism is what most people think of as socialism. So could you explain what you mean by that, uh, so that we have like really clear terms? Well, on homeschooling, I, people should have the right to do it as long as they meet some state standards. Um, it's not something I encourage. I'm not part of that movement, but I, you know, it. I think it should be an option for those families that want it. You know, my definition of socialism is economic democracy. It means working people get the full fruit of their labor. You know, under capitalism, you get a fixed wage, and any surplus you create with your labor goes to the capitalist. And to me, that's theft. So you get the full fruit of your labor and you uh, control your labor process. So like in a worker co-op, um, 
you know, the workers get together. If it's a small co-op, they make decisions together. If it's a bigger co-op, they elect a board that hires the management and is accountable to them. They get paid in proportion to the work they contribute. And that includes the profit at the end of the year. Uh, I think that's a much fairer and freer economic uh, system. So it really has to do with the, you know, wage labor. That's the definition. That's what's unique about capitalism. We'll have, we have markets before capitalism, we'll have them after capitalism. That doesn't define capitalism to my mind. Okay. And what defines socialism is uh, economic democracy. So you have social ownership and democratic administration, whether it's a public enterprise like a national health service, or it's a private enterprise like a worker co-op. It's the same principle applying in both sectors. So would you, <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice. Would you support like a UBI or at least consider it like a universal basic income? I support a guaranteed minimum income through the tax system in the form of a negative income tax. So you fill out your taxes. If you're below the poverty level, the government sends you a check every month to bring you up above the poverty level. Mm -hmm. That means less money flows through the uh, public sector than in a UBI, universal basic income. And then people like Donald Trump or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, they don't need it. Why give right. it to them? Even at the top marginal rate, which is what now, 39.5% or maybe just got lowered. You know, they're still going to keep 60 cents of what we gave them. They don't need it. Why do that? So mm. I think the idea of a guaranteed minimum income is good. But a universal basic income as a flat grant that everybody gets is not the best way to do it. Gotcha. Um and then we're kind of running out of time here. So I just wanted to one more thing. Um, a lot of people will tell you, especially the Hillary Clintons of the world will accuse you of either being a Russian asset or say that just a third party is a wasted vote. What do you have to say to those people? Yeah, well, Hillary Clinton just said that about our last presidential candidate, Jill Stein, without any evidence. And people right, got yeah. to stop buying into these conspiracy theories. Now that's it's crazy. Yeah. Now I would say, you should vote for what you want. Vote offensively. Vote for what you want. If you vote for the Green Party, people know what your vote was about. We're clear about our programs. If you're a progressive that thinks you got to vote for the lesser evil to stop Trump, they don't know in that vote whether you're a Sanders socialist or a blue dog Democrat right. or a corporate Clintonite. You get lost in the sauce. If you're right. a Green and you like what we're talking about, vote Green. I'm not saying I'm going to win the presidential election, but the more votes we get, the more the public and the media and ourselves know where our support is. And I'll tell you, in 2014, I got 5% of the vote running against Governor Cuomo. He wanted to get more votes than his daddy, Mario Cuomo, when he was governor. He wanted to get more votes than he got in 2010, and he got less. And yeah. he looked around, and I had 5%, and he had to look at what we were talking about. We were talking about a ban on fracking. We got that. Paid family leave. We got that. $15 minimum wage. Yeah. We're getting that. He's slower than our schedule, but he had to move. He even talked about tuition-free higher public education, although he just gave a scholarship, which really isn't that. But the point is, we had leverage because we got a significant vote. If our votes had gone to Cuomo to stop, that year was uh, it was a conservative Republican. He wasn't crazy like Trump or this guy he ran against in 2010. But um, if they'd voted for the lesser evil, you know, Trump would have, I mean, Cuomo would have taken us for granted you know, whatever vote we got because or we would have taken the people that wanted to ban our fracking and the $15 minimum wage for granted because he didn't lose any votes over it. So that's why people should vote for what they want. And if they want the Green Party, vote for it. Don't settle for the lesser evil. You're just defeating yourself. 
completely agree. Not necessarily on policies, but you should vote for whoever you want. I, I'm with you on that. Uh, I had to tell my brother this because we were arguing Republican versus Libertarian like three days ago. And I'm like, I can't vote. Like, And, and for me, it's religious. I am, I am a Christian uh, most of the time. Uh, I can't allow myself to vote for evil because that would violate my religious convictions. And it, it actually bugs me to see so many you know, Christian Republicans who who throw that, well, we have to support the lesser evil because those Democrats are really scary. Um, and it's like, you know, we're not supposed to be supporting evil. Uh, mm -hmm. When you, you let yourself do that, um, you, you like to me, you don't get to complain if you vote for evil. Like right. all, the, all the times they'll tell us you don't get to complain because you didn't vote or you voted third party. It's like, no, you don't get to complain because you supported evil the whole time. And that argument for the lesser evil sounds like the wily devil at work. He's being sneaky. He's tricking you. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you so much for coming on, man. Howie, do you have anything else you want to plug real quick before we head out? Well, if people are interested in, in my campaign and what I've been talking about, my website is HowieHawkins.us. And just put that in search and then you'll find it and you can see more about what we're talking about. Okay. You said HowieHawkins.us. The feed kind of cut there. Sorry. Yes. HowieHawkins.us. Okay. Awesome. All right. Um, that is it. Thank you for coming on, man. You guys, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, whatever medium you're on. Like us on Facebook, Bread and Circuses by Big Bill Media. We're out of here. Have a good night, you guys. Good night. Uh, Thank